Hi, this is Jeff Davis. I spent many years just down the road playing rock and roll along the lakefront in Chicago at WLS Music Radio. This year's a banner year for Radio Centennials. That's why I'm happy to wish my brothers and sisters in radio a heartfelt 100th anniversary at 1440 WROK in Rockford, Illinois. Sometimes people just need a really good reason to get back together and enjoy each other. This is one of those occasions. Getting behind the microphone again and sharing those seldom told tales is a special feeling these folks didn't want to pass up. The studio is filled with decades of photos, bumper stickers, buttons, albums, t-shirts, jackets, original signs, and well-deserved industry awards. Here's to WROK's 100 years of broadcasting in Northern Illinois and Southern Wisconsin. And now, more radio stories between old friends on another episode of the Storyteller Studio. Good afternoon and welcome back to Storyteller Studio. This time we are on the road again, but not up to Minneapolis like Kelly Ryan's little visit was. We went east, and I fell into Rockford, Michigan, not Rockford, (laughs) Illinois, uh, just north of Grand Rapids, and today we're going to sit down with Kim Carson. Kim, I cannot believe we were able to connect and get back together on this. It's crazy. See, I loved Rockford so much, I had to move to Rockford. (laughs) (laughs) You had to have some kind of a connection, right? That's right. Kim was on WROK in the late 70s, like 77, 78. Yeah. And I don't want to age anybody, including myself, but my connection to you is a single playlist. Remember when they used to distribute those out to the record stores? Yeah. And I remember listening to you when I was in high school at Auburn. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So we go back that far, but we had never met. But see, I was of high school age too, so it it, it makes me sound old. But (laughs) And, And that amazes me. Because you were sort of on the top of the pile and you were 18 years old. Yep, I celebrated my 18th birthday on the air. Illegally, too, when I think about it. Okay, really, seriously. (laughs) I have the air checks still. Um, What happened was Chuck Diamond. Oh, yeah. I love Chuck Diamond. I just, I, he's, he taught me so much. Chuck Diamond or somebody brought in a bottle of champagne. Mm hmm. And we're cracking it open on the air, you know, here's to your 18th birthday. And then I read later that you're not even supposed to have alcohol in the radio No, station. no, you can have rubbing alcohol, but you <laughs> right. can't have alcohol alcohol. And so I think back on those times with, <laughs> with the glee. Oh, man. What shift did you do on ROK? Uh, Chuck did six to 10. So I had to have done 10 to two. 10 to two. Yeah. And uh, I was 17 when I started and then had my 18th birthday there. Did you ever run into people like um, Don Geronimo or Shotgun Mark Rivers? I know the names, but I've I've never worked with them. Okay, because I I didn't know if there was any overlap there at all. Yeah, I had started at the station just when it won um, Radio Station of the Year, Small Market Radio Station of the Year. Oh, my. So they might have been before me. Yeah. Probably went on to L.A. or something. Yeah, well, you know, I don't know if I told you, but Shotgun Mark Rivers, his real name is Mike Lamb, um, we have been in touch for all of these years. Wow. He helped me start the high school radio station at Auburn that very year before you got there. And to make a very, very long story short, he uh, helped us with uh, developing our webpage 
and both of our podcasts, including the Storyteller Studio, and he's out in Phoenix, and that's what he does for a living. How wonderful. So the idea that we're still working together, quote unquote, after all these years is crazy. Yeah, it is. The friendships, you know, sometimes you move so much. Radio, you just move around a lot. And, you know, most of my phone friends are really my closest friends because Mm -hmm. um, I've had friends in many of the cities that I've worked in, and then you move and they provide something, you know, they're, they're, sp- and you can keep a friendship alive. You don't have to, just because you move doesn't mean that it's the end of a friendship. It takes, it takes work on both people's it does. parts it does. to make sure to make time to invite those people back into your life. Again. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of times where people look at it differently, where you say, I'm moving away. Oh, Jesus is going to be the end. Yeah. Or. They say, well, I'm moving away. Well, geez, now I can have twice as many friends exactly. because I'll pick some up in the new city. And I have a place to visit. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what the old visit. friends say. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I've got current friends that are, quote unquote, moving to the south and better weather. And they're moving to Lexington. You'll hear from them in January. Yes. <laughs> They'll hear from you. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. And the, and the joke is, well, now you guys will have a place to come stay. And I go, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Tell yeah, me. Yeah, Hang yeah. on a minute. <laughs> How did your decision to move now going to cost me money? Yeah, right. Because now you're seven <laughs> minutes away, but, you know, now it's going to be seven hours away. And he goes, well, you know, I'll make it worth your right, time. Right, right, so right. It's sort of you been better. fun. Yeah, it's sort of been funny that way. Uh, is there a, a conversation place that you want to start having to do with the people or your time or... Uh, the the events or anything that you remember distinctly from WROK? It was a great experience for me. I I had gotten on the radio. Uh, you know, I, I, it start the story starts really with WDRQ in Detroit and Rock and Ron, who um you know he's blonde, he was cute. I was I was a kid and he was older and you know it, it wasn't. It was just like a little kid, like he was like David Cassidy or something. Oh right? my! Oh yeah, and so. I used to call him, he'd play songs for me, and, and he said once, what do you want to do when you when you graduate from high school? I was 14 at the time, and I said, probably be a DJ. I, not, never knowing, never even recognizing or realizing that women weren't even on the radio. I mean, there were a few, oh. but there weren't really, the, for the first you know 10 years of my career, I was the first woman that held down her own shift at each of the radio stations that I worked at. So, But I never dawned on me. I just knew that that's what I wanted to do. He said, well, when you get out of school, I'll give you a job. I'm like, oh. And so I went to, to school. Who year- says that? Yeah. And he said the same thing. Who says that? Yeah. He said, how would I even know I would be in a position to give you a job? But he was. And so um, he showed me over the phone telling me how to make a, an air check, you know, the beginning and end of a song. I talk in the middle. So I made these. And he said, you're, you are really good. He said, you know, you're raw, but you're really good. And when you get out of school, I'll give you a job. And so I went to summer school two years so I could go to school year round Okay. and moved to Knoxville. Was on the air there for um, six months when I flew up to see my mom and dad in Detroit. And I was so proud. I had my first professional air check. I stuck it in my purse. I, um, I In an actual studio, you made it. Yes. yes. In an, yes. Me actually on yes. the air doing a Christian format, right? The Christian top 40. Wow. So it was, it was, I was so proud of it. And I got home and I'm looking through the purse. I dump it out on the floor in the basement and I'm crying because there's no, no air check. It's not in my purse. And mm. I know I, I said, I know I put it in my purse. And then when I got back to Knoxville, I got a call from Bob Good. 
And he, he was a program director of WROK at the time. And he yeah. said, um, hey, you know, you're not going to believe this, but you must have been traveling lately. And I have a friend who's a stewardess and she found your air check and we'd like to offer you a job. <laughs> that is the most serendipitous I story I have ever heard in my I life. I know. It's crazy. It's crazy. You, you left it in the seat of the airplane? Yeah, or on, he said it was on the floor. It must have fallen out of your purse is what he said. And she was a friend and of she his. she knew what it was, and so she gave it to him. Are you kidding me? <laughs> if God isn't all over That's that, right. <laughs> I don't know who is. And my life is full of that. My life is full of all those things. So God was your first program yeah, doctor, he was what you're telling me. That's right. In fact, in fact, there's a book written about me called Hotline from Heaven, the Kim Carson story. And so what you say is actually true. <laughs> wow. What? Let's back up just a tiny bit. What took you to Knoxville? Ron was programming down there. So when I got out of school, I called him and I said, hey, I'm out of school. And he said, there were three things I can't, I don't know if I can remember them, but one was, you know, please don't get into drugs. Make sure that you finish, you know, school. And, oh, and don't change. Don't, don't, because he goes, his business, he has a way of changing you. Right. And so I'm like, okay, I can do all those things. And he was, he wanted to hire you for what you were right then. Yes. And he, he taught me everything that I needed to know, like about radio. Like I would, when I went down there, I was making $80 a week. I was the receptionist. I did an air shift. I did weather like that ran all day. I did sales. Did you change um, the light bulbs on the tower? <laughs> I'm sure. I, well, that now I'm a little scared of heights, so I don't. <laughs> that was the one thing I didn't do. But but yeah, I mean, it, it was a, it was an education. I couldn't have paid for that education, wow. and so that's what took me to Knoxville. And I went down there. It was an AC station. It had changed to Christian. And being like a 16 year old. I didn't want to do Christian music. I just mm -hmm. didn't, you know. Well, and it wasn't as plentiful back then. And either. No, and it was. It didn't sound like it sounds now either. You yeah, know, and yeah. I love that music now. By the way, the music that I was playing on that station, I loved listening to that kind of Christian praise and worship music now. But anyway, I moved to Rockford, and it was a great experience. It was just a great experience working with professional people, and they helped me all along the way, and. Um, it was just beautiful. It was just a really, it was just a really nice experience to be able to, to kind of, um, learn and be around good people that were willing uh, to teach you. Well, and you had to sort of, I hate to use this phrase cause it's overused, but you sort of had to find yourself in radio. Where do I belong? Right. Because when you walk in a station and you're doing everything, yeah, you know, exactly. do I want to be on the air or do I want to be an engineer? All I wanted to do, you know what, for me, all I ever wanted to do was be on the air. I think it's not like everybody bull bullied me in school cause there mm -hmm. were, there were some kids that didn't, but but I was bullied a lot. And so I couldn't wait to escape and become Kim Carson, become somebody different, you know? Wow. And so going, I knew what I, being on the radio provided that. Well, and you hear that from a lot of theater people yes, too. Yes, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Because now there's somebody else, at least for a couple of hours. Yeah. And then they slip back into wherever they are. Yes. It was that radio is, radio I think is, I do TV too, but radio is the most intimate medium and i mean live radio live radio really is not not podcasting not on demand listening but not what, not what, not tracking not no, voice tracking no no voice no. tracking what we did it was an art form it was an art form because it was live 
and only the best of the best can do live and pull it off. Mm-hmm. You know, when John was doing a, John Strandon was doing a newscast, you know, Fred Spears, you know, at, at all hours of the night, I'd see him come into the radio station at one and two o'clock in the morning. You know, my, my, <laughs> my police radio, you know, says this is going on and out. He was, I have never, ever, ever, ever seen anybody work like Fred Spears has worked. His work ethic is so high and John, you know, but, but Fred, I just remember I'd be at the station sometimes doing production, you know, at three o'clock in the morning and in comes Fred. Are you here to work? I, I, before I work, I got to go to a fire and I mean, and then down to the public yeah, safety building to pick right. up the police reports. Yeah. And then I got to do this. Yes. And then I got to take the news feed. And, he was amazing. Oh he yeah. Was, and if you had amazing. to guess, not that you would ever know this, because when somebody pop quizzed me, I did not know. Yeah. How many years do you think Fred worked at WROK? I was way off. Okay, I don't know. 50? 44 years. 44 years? Yeah. John was there 24. Oh, my gosh. Crazy, isn't That's it? That's crazy. To it just doesn't up, happen anymore. No, no, and not only the distance, I mean, not only the years, but the quality of what you're doing for that long. Right. It's not like, oh, you started out as a little bitty person and then you really peaked. And then at the end, you sort of like sat behind a desk. No, no, no. It was, it was, it was everybody at the station was like that. There, there weren't any slackers that I can remember. I'm guessing it was the same when you were there as when I was there for my two times. It was a beehive. Mm -hmm. When you walked in, you know, not, I've done overnights there too. So obviously it's a lot more quieter at overnights. But when you walked in, basically eight to five, you couldn't help but feed off of each other. Absolutely. If if somebody in continuity had this harebrained idea for a commercial for this particular client, and they go, well, I don't know if we can pull that off or not, they would go to different offices and say, That's hey, right. can you come in? Hey, can you come in and read <laughs> right. these lines? Right. And then all of a sudden, it's like, well, you did pull it, it off. It came to life. It, it came- did. And see. When I got to the station, I knew I wanted to be on the air, but I knew I wanted to be, I almost wanted to be like a flame throwing, like, 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 like Chuck was, like Chuck was. And Chuck, I used to stand there amazed watching him talk up posts because I don't ever remember having, maybe Denny Schaefer, but I don't remember anybody having uh, like the ability to talk up a post like, like, like Chuck did. And so he... He's I go, what am I doing wrong? Like, there's always a second left, you know, like, what am I, what am I doing wrong? <laughs> and a second doesn't sound no, like much, I but know. boy, when you're talking but, over a post. And you know, when people are listening, they don't care. It's just for the DJs, you know, the listener doesn't care whether you're talking of a post or I know, not. but it's the bar you set for yourself. Yeah, right. It and is. so Chuck, I, I said, what am I doing wrong? He goes, you're looking at the timer. You got to feel the music. That's you got to feel oh the music. God, that's exactly and, right. And he taught me. How to talk up posts, and then I then I they, they there was a name I can't remember what they used to call me, um, but it was it was a funny name about being oh postmaster general right <laughs> postmaster general in Detroit they'd call me that and I, and the, how do you do that I go Chuck told me taught me I can't you just gotta feel it but Chuck did it in a way where I got it you yeah. know right it's it's it. it's one thing if you knew the intro was let's say seventeen seconds okay you sort of have that in your head about how long you have to do yeah. But don't look at the clock anymore other than knowing that on the edge of the card, it says 17 seconds. And granted, it's different if you're talking up 
Earth, Wind, and Fire right. compared to Neil Diamond. Exactly. So right. it is a little different. Right. It was more fun talking up Earth, Wind, and Fire. Yes, yes. But never a truer word has not come out of Chuck Diamond. Yeah. And that's exactly it. And you know the other one that can talk him up to? And to this day is Chuck Doyle. Did you oh, ever... Oh, Chuck Doyle. I didn't, no, I don't, I don't think I met him. No, Chuck and I have known each other since we worked together at WLUV at the age of 16. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and I just saw him two weeks ago. He still does the <laughs> rock and bowl at Cherry Bowl, <laughs> and it's all new music. So oh it's gosh. not the Earth, Wind, and Fires. Ah, hey, yeah, we all know that yeah, stuff. Right. But this is all the new stuff. And it's all Bluetooth, and it's all on a little, oh uh, you know, a little iPad thing, and it's just a whole different ball game. But he still is nailing it. That's crazy. It's hilarious, and it's because it's in your blood. He says Chuck Doyle has always said to me, he said, "So when did you get shot in the neck with the radio dart?" <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty much it. That's, that's how you describe <laughs> that's, it. That's exactly it. John Strandon, I saw the other day because we did the live TV 23 thing. John and Liz and Fred, again, because we were shot with that dart, we ended up doing newscasts, material, and songs, and promos, and contests oh, wow. as if it was October 26, 1985. Oh, my gosh. Because that's what's on the dashboard yeah. of the DeLorean in the Back to yeah, the Future. Right. So for people at, like, Aaron Wilson at TV23, to hear us read these newscasts or these contests or whatever from 1985, you could just see it physically oh, yeah. affect him because the memories would flow yeah, back. Yeah, it's classic. I mean, that stuff is in breath. That's like in you. That's part of your DNA, those experiences. Hence the dart. Yes, they're hands-on. That's what's kind of different about what's what's happens now. It's all this, as opposed to, okay, put that, put yeah. a cart machine in there. Got the reel, the reel. Let's cue that up. Splice yeah. it with a blade. Yes, it was tons of work. Yeah, radio, but, radio was much but, more physical. But I've, I've, I've talked to neurosurgeons about it who said that when you are physically doing the things, it implants and cements the memory, the emotion, the feeling. When you're doing something virtual, it does not. Oh, my. Yeah, and he's right. The, the, the memories of that studio... You know, that little studio yeah. that, that we were in. The thickest, yeah. heaviest doors on yeah, the planet. Exactly. <laughs> and the big window when I'd look across and see John and somebody make, trying to make him laugh, making funny faces while he's getting, doing a death story or something, you know? I mean, <laughs> I mean it's funny now. It was, right. It was, but, it's funny now. Yeah. <laughs> Poor guy. <laughs> and why do we always he pick on the news though, people? He didn't laugh. I said, no. but as soon as he turned off the mic. He'd start, his face would get real red, but he never laughed. No. no. <laughs> that I heard. And I'll tell you, the toughest one to break up is Ken DeCoster. Did you ever no, know Ken? No, 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 no. Oh, my. Oh, man. He's solid as a rock. Now, Fred, on the other hand, you know, yeah. you could go in and wink at him, yeah, yeah, and he yeah. knew something was going to yeah. happen. He'd giggle at you. And to this day, he's, he's 86 years old, and we made him chuckle somehow at this live oh, TV nice. 23 things. And he just sort of sat back in his chair just a little bit, and he goes, some things never change. I go, yeah, Fred, you're right. That's right. You're That's exactly right. right. That's right. That's funny. When you were at WROK, who was the lineup that you remember besides Chuck Diamond? Waylon. Oh, John R.W. Yeah, Waylon. Waylon. Okay. Was it Arthur? John Arthur. John Arthur. Yeah. Um, John Arthur must have done Afternoons. Afternoons. Yeah. I don't rem remember Middays. Who was it? Hmm. And then, of course, Chuck, me, and then Bobby B. Soder. Yeah. 
You don't think it would have been Dan Campbell. Boy, that sounds familiar. Okay. All right. Yeah. That's the one that oh, do I it, do intend to two in the morning. Yes, I didn't. Um, I w- I wasn't awake much. Um, in no, 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 you had to rely on <laughs> that's staff embarrassing. meetings. Right, I, well, right, right. I, but that's just the way it is. <laughs> and when people are saying, as they're listening to this, they'll say, "Oh, well, why aren't they mentioning the WZOK staff? Because there wasn't one. Yes, it was beautiful music. It was a gigantic that's right. machine that's right. that was automation. In fact, the WZOK and the continuity offices and studios weren't even built right. at this point. It was an addition to the building. Yeah, It's sort of weird to think about, but when you went like to the bathroom or to the snack room, you would sort of have to walk around the WZOK automation system. I remember, system. I remember. Isn't, do you, did you have to change it? I probably did it a handful of times because somebody was on vacation or something. I hated doing it. <laughs> I hated doing that. Nick Nolte, well, not Nick Nolte, Mr. Nolte was so proud of that. And it was pretty amazing when you looked at it. The, yes. The technology for that machine back then, one reel-to-reel or whatever those things were called would stop, and the other one, mm-hmm. it would trigger the other one to start. Yeah. And you had to make sure it was on right. And, yeah. You know, it was not... 24 hours of sunshine. Yes, right. <laughs> well, you know, Vern Nolte was a gadget guy from the yeah. beginning. Yeah, he was. You know, anybody that invents the trip tone on a cart yep. machine, it's like, come on. I know. You, you can't get that out of your no. blood. All the other stuff just sort of blended right into his desire for this engineering part on the radio station. He was the best. Oh, he was the best. I know. And, you know, I always hear, because we're like 26 episodes into Storyteller Studio, I always hear a different story of how Vern Nolte was the best. Because anybody can just go, hey, he was a good good (laughs) boss. But then they, I remember the time and then yeah. they'd start saying something like that. And it's amazing how deeply he reached so many people. He did. He was he was amazing. I for me, what I remember most about Mr. Nolte, he threw the greatest parties. Oh, yeah. He threw the greatest parties. Oh, yeah. The first year I was there, the party they loaded us. Uh, no, that was a, yeah, the very first year I was there. We had the WROK Awards. The Rocky Awards, WROK Awards. And they had 45s. I still have it. They have 45s that somebody spray painted gold and put a red label on it for the WROK. And I remember I won for something similar. We all dressed up. There was a red carpet. There were photographers taking pictures. And we got in, and it was crazy. And and he had somebody announcing... The awards, you know, up for uh, most memorable, memorable line or something. Most memorable thing. I can't remember what it is, but it was most memorable. And he'd say like, you know, one of one of the employees names for, um, you know, not that again. You know, another employee's name for, you know, whatever she said. And then Kim Carson for. <laughs> and and, and it, the winner is Kim Carson for. <laughs> It's hilarious. Yeah. And so I'd go off accepting my award. I mean, it was, and then the following year, the following year was even better yet. He, he topped himself. We all were supposed to meet, I think at the station or somewhere, and a bus showed up. And we all got a little bag. Okay. Like that he had some, as I remember, cheese, maybe crackers, a little bottle of wine or something. Oh. We all, and he took us, and it was the medieval theme. And it was a castle nearby. We were on the bus for a while, you know, and then he let us out. And it was like he had like court jesters and we were eating with our hands. It was 
I was eating with my hands. <laughs> was, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Don't know about anybody yeah, else. Right, right, right. It, but it was because you drank your wine first. <laughs> that's, that's right. That's, that's why right. that happened. That's right. You don't think you went down to stronghold? How, how, how was it? Is it about fifty minutes? Yes. Yeah, it might have been. Oh my! And he had rented out, and there was no. It was just the most amazing. And I can say, um, I've never been to a radio station Christmas party ever since. That's any been anywhere near what he did. I it's, would have to. I agree. actually enjoyed both of those Christmas parties. Yeah, he was. I, he was special. Yeah. He's special. Well, well, you know, and I think a lot of those things, and I'd call it the the Disney factor. You've got a year to think these things through. Yeah. All these little details, you just need to write them down yeah. and then execute them within a month yeah. of when you're going to be doing the date. A lot of people, they see that as too much work. Well, you're not actually busting up rocks. No. No, it's mind work. Right, it is. Yeah. And if you've taken notes and you've got it all in line and then all you have to do, I shouldn't say all you have to do, but you do need to pull those things out and execute them. That's where the Nolte's and John, his son, we joke that he's the vice president in charge of parties Yeah, (laughs) because he learned that so well from his father. If you're going to throw a party, let's do it so it's memorable. Yeah, I believe that the following year, I actually flew in for that party. No way. I was somebody's guest. I flew in for that party because I would have left. I was there only for about a year before I got offered the job in Detroit. So I left. Yeah, I mean, that's how good they were. I forfeited <laughs> I forfeited the party in Detroit for Mr. Nolte's party. <laughs> wow. So let's continue down that trail. You said you left WROK for Detroit. Yeah. How did all that happen? Because weren't your parents in Detroit yeah, to begin with? They were in Detroit. Yep. Okay. Yeah, I was. You know, there's there's also not a good side to radio. You know, there's mm-hmm. there's in in basically, um, I don't even know how to ta- how to start where to start. I was on the air there for about a year, and then um, my program director at the time said that he wanted me to like calm down on the radio and offered me a drug. And I a drug to calm down. Yeah, yeah. And I said I'm not taking that. And but you're playing rock and roll music. There shouldn't right. be a calm down. And also, you can you can also right, but you could also tell somebody like to calm down, right? And I'm yeah. like, I'm not taking it. And so I was, he, and he kind of threatened me. And then he said, um, with an attitude like yours, you're going to be in little markets for the rest of your life. Being like, uh, you know, young, like 18, I was just destroyed. I lo- I drove home and crying, crying, crying. And this is a true story. I can't, I'm not, I'm not writing the story. I'm just living it. (laughs) Um, And so I got home and I called, obviously called my mom and she's upset and I'm upset. And uh, next thing I know, um, Jim Baker from the PTL club is on TV talking about if you're really in a bad spot right now and you know, you need God to step in, you know, lay your hands on the TV. And that's how desperate that was as low a place as I was thinking I'm I'm not going to have a career in radio. I laid my hands on the TV. I'm praying. I went to sleep. And to you're, you're telling me you got there because of what this program director. He hired me for what I did. Right. But, that yeah. happened. That that wasn't the only time but, that happened. But that, and, but that tells you right there just how painful words can be. Oh, yeah. Oh, my. Oh, yeah. And I was wow. young. And, and, and I've had different things happen throughout my career. I don't know if other women have had other things happen throughout their career because I don't really hear them talking about it. Yeah. I don't know if it's just like, oh, just let it lie. But but it happened. It's part of my life, good or bad. It made me who I am. It's it's. I've worked for fabulous 
program directors after that, you know, I, and I've had some duds along the way too. Everybody has. Yeah, of course. Um, and so I went to sleep after I laid my hands on the TV <laughs> and I went to sleep. And two hours later, the phone rang and this guy goes, do you know who Ron Baptist is? And that's Ron, Rockin' Ron from Detroit, who is now in, in Rochester, New York working. And I said, yeah, 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 yeah. He's, he's the one that helped me get, get, get this job. And he goes, well, here's the thing. You don't know who I am. And I've never really heard you on the radio before, but a really good friend of mine, Charlie Lake, who is a record rep, record rep, was passing down the hallway and heard Ron playing an air check of you on the air. And well, we would like to offer you a job. Well, after hearing this from my program director in Rockford, I'm like, I can get a job. And so And this is the way radio is supposed to work, yeah, isn't right. it? And I go, I go, Oh, this is great. Yes. So what what's it all about? And he said, you know, you do you do overnights and then um it's five days a week and we'll move you here and all this and I'm like, um, oh that's great. Yeah, and they talked about the salary. I'm eighteen, okay. Yeah. I do wanna reiterate that. And I'm getting ready to say goodbye and hang up and I go, Oh, by the way, where is this? Where is this place? What city? Yeah. And he goes, <laughs> Detroit. I go, Detroit? Wait. That's my hometown. I thought you said Rochester. No, that's where Ron was. Oh. I go, Detroit? That's my hometown. Oh. And I said, what station? And he said, WDRQ. I'm like, oh my God, that's the only station I ever listened to. And it was as a kid. That's where Ron was working at the time. So make fun of Jim Baker, but. Um, yeah, Jim came through for Jim, you. God came through. <laughs> God came through for me through Jim Baker that that exact moment. Yeah. So and, so God was still in radio. He was yeah. maybe an operations manager. He was busy with me. Yeah. And Jim Baker was maybe his new program director. That's right. That's, that's how right. that all works. That's right. That's right. That's a very little known fact about Jim Baker. Apparently, that's crazy. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. So. Did you flat out go back into the drug offering PD and say, yeah, uh, that's what here's I my did. notice? That afternoon, I drove back in again. You did not. Yep, I didn't call him. I drove back in, and I remember w- walking into his office. He was sitting there, and I said, you got a minute? He's like, yeah. He was just cold. And I said, um, I sat down, and I put my feet on his desk like he did when he was telling me, threatening me. I put my feet on his desk. <laughs> 18 years old. Can you believe that? I put my feet on. But they do tell you to mirror people if you really want to get your point across. I did. (laughs) Yeah. And I put my feet on his desk and I said, I'm here to give you my two weeks notice. And he looked up. He said, what? I said, I'm here to give you my two weeks notice. And he was writing something. He goes, where are you going? Oh, no. And I leaned forward, took my feet down and leaned forward. And I said, Detroit. And he leaned back. I remember it like it was yesterday. He leaned back and he said, oh, I always knew you could do it. (laughs) Which is just the opposite of what he said before. Right. That I was going to, that if I didn't take that drug, then I would be uh, and spend the rest of my career in little markets for the rest of my life. Wow. So you went back to Detroit and you, you spent how long in Detroit? Um, I was, just the first a, time I was in Detroit for 11 years. Oh, that just rubs his nose yeah, right in you it. You know it. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was, I left and then went back again, was there for about four years. And where did you go in the interim? Um, after Detroit, I was working at WCSX because I just, um, one of the program directors at Z95 point, I was at WDRQ 
for the longest period of time. And mm-hmm. then I was at um, Z95.5 for four years. And then when I was let go there because they were cleaning house, mm-hmm. um, I went over to uh, WCSX, which was the classic rock station. I was getting a full-time salary and working, you know, 40 hours, but I wasn't always on the air. He kind of wanted to move me a little bit into management. I wasn't right, quite ready to go into management. Hmm. And so um, I ended up staying there. And then I was offered a job at WSSX in um, Charleston, South Carolina. Oh, my. Yeah. And it was beautiful. They were paying for my 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 apartment. I was living on James Island near Folly Beach. I It was beautiful. It was a great salary. I mean, it was just I, when I signed off in Detroit, I said, I'm going to, I'm so looking forward to moving to Charleston. It's going to be like I'm living on Gilligan's Island and I'm living on an <laughs> island. Well, little did I know that was true because by the time it got for me to move, Hurricane Hugo was bearing down oh. and I was on the air for one day. I got to open that pink envelope, you know, that, that emergency, yeah, one. that emergency envelope and, and say you- that this is not a test of the emergency system. This is an actual emergency. Yeah. And, um, and there is no more frightening. I don't know about you. Yep. When you're sitting at the controls and you're the person that's responsible yeah, for dispersing. Yeah, I remember asking like the, the GM and asking the engineer because I didn't want to rip open that envelope. And he's like, no, you got to rip open the envelope. You got to give the, I think there were numbers or yes. something, right? And It's and, like nuclear cl- codes. Yeah. And it's, it's it frightening crazy. to be in that position, especially when you're young. Yeah. I know, I've been there. It just, yeah. it's not good. No, it's not good. And, um, and so my station was flooded and they said, well, we're going to pay you for six months until we can get it rebuilt. But, you know, and, but I said, I can't go through this again. I can't, I can't live in a place like this. I guess I didn't think this through. Um, and so I really was on Gilligan's Island. I lived there till my parents could come down with a U-Haul and bail me out. And yeah, it would, it's a scary, it's scary place. You know, I was offered jobs in LA too. And I just, California scares me. It's just a scary place to me. Weather-wise, yeah. it, it's a different kind of scary. Yeah. Because, you know, and I've talked to radio people all my career, and they are bouncing around and doing different things because they have opportunities, just right. like we're talking about. But when you're out there, whether it be San Diego or San Francisco or wherever, it's an earthquake fear. Yeah. And when we're in the Midwest, it's a tornado fear. Yeah. And then it's a hurricane fear. And yeah. it's just, it's different. And boy, I'll tell you, if you're not used to it, you know, if you grew up in the Midwest, it's like, hey, tornadoes, that's just the way we yeah, do it out maybe here. Maybe that's it. I grew up here. I'm you You're know, used to yeah. it. Yeah. But boy, I'll tell you, I am with you. It seems like though with a tornado or something, I could have a little warning to be able to get somewhere or try to get somewhere safe. Whereas that hurricane, you have to leave. You 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 can't stay. You know, mm-hmm. there, I mean there were some crazies that stayed, but I was the only one on the island. The 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 National Guard told me I was the only one on that island, everybody had left, and I was the first one back over the bridge. You know, I said, and the engineers are like, well, if you want to be the first one, I go, yeah, I want to be the first one. Wow. Was the radio station on the island? No, the radio station was okay. near the intercoastal. Okay. And so it was flooded terribly. But I lived on James Island, so three miles from the ocean. So yeah. literally, they did not broadcast for X six amount, months. For six months? Yeah. Was it AM and FM both? That I don't know. That's yeah. crazy. It was crazy. I know. It was a, it was, you had to make the best of it because there was no food and no water. And you had, I had $500 in my pocket, but when you go to the grocery store, nothing is there. Nobody was selling bread. If you want to pay a hundred, everybody was holding on to everything that they had. Wow. And so when I left, I remember going to the, um, to the uh, Salvation Army 
and just saying, here's 500 bucks because this can do me no good here. All the shelves were empty. So I lived on a bottle of water mm-hmm. and chips and apples for the bird because I had a bird at the time. And so he would get all the apples and I would have morning chips, afternoon chips, evening chips, you know, maybe a little bit of candy from when I first drove in because this happened as soon as I arrived, you know. And, it was like, and you're how old? I would have been, um, that would have been in, that uh, was CSX. So that would have been, I would probably 29 at that Crazy. time. Crazy. Yeah. And, tw- by, and by yourself? Yep, by myself. Wow. Yep. Yeah. And I went down to the ocean before I evacuated because the National Guard was, I'd just driven like 17 hours, went on the air, opened the pink envelope, read it, go back to my house. And the National Guard says, you have to evacuate. You know, what if I don't? He goes, well, you have to. It's a mandatory evacuation. I said, well, if I refuse, because I thought I was going to fall asleep at the wheel. Uh, what if I refuse? And he said, well, if you refuse, he pulls out his little camera. So I'll have to take a picture for your next of kin. <laughs> and I said, okay, I'm going. But I still really wasn't certain I was going to go. But once those winds started picking up, all the lanes in Charleston were pointing out. You know, no lanes were coming in. Right, right. And I evacuated and watched it touch down in Folly Beach, which was three miles from my home. And um, a lot of those apartments were totally damaged. Um, roofs were were torn off and there were boats in the parking lot and, and washing machines and dryers. And cause the surge came in and went right up. I was fighting for the bottom apartment and was so mad that they promised me the bottom apartment and then I didn't get it. You know, mine was on the second floor and the apartment that I wanted that somebody gave away, the floodwaters came up to the ceiling. So everything she had, the exact apartment I should have had, everything she had was completely ruined with water and mud. Um, and so it was, I mean, I, you can't see that and think, well, you know, most of the time it's not going to be this way, but I couldn't, I couldn't go through it again. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, you went back to Detroit. I, I was in Detroit at, um, at the Fox, um, w, and, and at Wow FM, which was the first, um, FM talker. Oh my. Yeah. Rick Torcaso put that on and um, it was a great sounding station. I, I loved it. So you went from AOR to talk radio? Yeah, I did. I've done. <laughs> Good I've for done, you. Yes, I've done. <laughs> and, and, I, and, and actually, I think I might have gone DFX, which later became DTX. But DFX, I was doing top 40, like a, like a hot top 40. And from that, I went to talk. I was producing and working with Lorna Love who was wow. the morning show. Yeah, <laughs> women never held down a morning show on FM radio at that time. Women didn't do it. No. That would have been around 93 or 94. And she was like making buku, buku money. And and Cleet Dumpster, he was the news what, guy. What, what was the name? <laughs> Cleet Dumpster. Come on. I love Cleet Dumpster. How can that possibly? I know. I know. <laughs> oh my. That is the funniest radio name I've ever heard. And you're supposed to be a little prestigious in news, aren't you? I know. Where'd you get your news? (laughs) In the dumpster. Okay. All right. I think that radio, regardless of the market, I think radio, once they got a taste of female talent on the air, they couldn't ignore it. Whether it be Yvonne Daniels at WLS... Uh, whether it be um, Diana Williams, you know, in yep. Philadelphia or D.C., once they got that and you go, yeah, you know what? I can do this. Well, the papers say that you can't. Yeah. But put them behind the mic and guess what? It happens. Yes. 
then they couldn't ignore it again. Yeah, and, the, and, and it, you know, the audience seemed to like me a lot. You know, it was just the program, the male program directors that, mm-hmm. you know, they were kind of felt like they were forced to, you know, that, that law was passed where they had to hire women and put oh. them on the air in the late 70s, right around, Ron said, right around the time I got on, because he said, this is, this is the best thing for you. You got to do this now because there's this window of opportunity. And he was right. It was a small window of opportunity. And so that's why I had all these, like this plethora of offers always coming in, no matter where I worked, either a local station wanting to hire me out of the market or another outside station wanting to bring me into the market. Well, because now you were a bright light in the pasture. Yeah. And and I sounded like the guys kind of, that's what they, you know, a lot of PDs like this, a lot of PDs want you to sound, wanted women. That's why you'll hear it if you listen to women on the air in the 70s to sound sexy mm-hmm. and sound, you know, sensual. And that was never my thing. I didn't hear that on the radio and that's not me. I mean, maybe in the privacy of my own home with somebody, but you not are, on the radio. To me, when I listened to you in 77 and 78, you were I don't want to say perky, but you were yeah. up, you were up tempo. Yeah, you and were, I was perky. You were high energy right. and that matched the music. Yeah. Now, granted, you can't keep that kind of energy when now you're doing news talk right. and you have no breaks. Right. That's what and you that's have, what that's what's so beautiful about the challenge of like people say, like, why why did you work so many different formats? Because I could. Because mm-hmm. I could. Because I because someone gave me the opportunity to do AC, to do, you know, the only format I haven't worked that I would love to work, and it's probably the format that really fits me the closest. Classic rock was a was a great fit here in Grand Rapids at WLAV. I have great memories of working for Rob Brandt there. He understood me, and so mm-hmm. I could rise to the top. If you're working for somebody that doesn't necessarily get you and really doesn't, it's not really their job to get you, I it's, guess I It's guess always not. a struggle. Yeah, and so when you have somebody that gets you, um, every time I've had that, we've just risen like high. So not what, just me, the whole station. You so know? what was the format that you wish you had been in? Country. Oh. I've never done country. Wow. Um, I, I love... I would love to, um, yeah, inspire a little bit with country. Well, I'll tell you where I think you would fit country fantastically. Where's that? Is because they are so fan-minded. Yes. And your ability to get that information out of that artist in an interview or in a tidbit or on a live event or uh, introducing a concert or whatever you can imagine yourself doing, you would be a good gateway for that. And see, artist. I'm fan-oriented, too. That's I, what I'm saying. Yeah, it's yes. all about, always been all about the listeners for me. The listeners yeah. are why I do what I do. I, I, I want to be an escape for them. I mm-hmm. want them to to listen and forget that, you know, they just left their house in the morning, you know, after having a fight with their spouse. I want them to get in the car and and just imagine, like, go to a different place. Just yeah. go to, like, music takes me to a different place. Yeah. Just go to a different place and and live in, in the positive with something encouraging to say or or something that takes your mind off whatever is is disrupting it. Even, you know? even for 15 minutes. Yeah. If that's all it is. Exactly. You know, because if you're going from, like you say, you're in an argument with your spouse in the morning yeah. or the kids are being difficult or whatever, and you got that 15-minute drive to work, and you get to work and your boss stinks, you know, that 15 minutes with just you in the car with just the person that you choose. Yes. It's a a breath of fresh air. Yes. It's it's a lifeline. It's something. And 
it's hard to do that now. It's not, I don't, I don't really know. I have so many friends still in the business doing it for corporate radio. And I don't really, I don't think that that's really what the aim is. The aim is to send them to the website. The aim is to promote what's coming up next. I mean, I had freedom with music. Those days are gone. The freedom to somebody calling, it would really make so much, it made me feel so happy. If you could play the song, my mom just died, my dad just died. You know, but even beyond that, which I, you know, we relate to that because we take phone calls and stuff like that, even beyond that, because some Mm -hmm. of the fans can abuse it, you know, calling all the time, get a load of this. When the Rolling Stones came to Rockford. Wait a minute. Now I was one of those fans. I know. (laughs) I know. I know. So, so you can relate to it, but get a load of this. When you talk about not having music freedom. The Rolling Stones came to Rockford October 1 of 1981. Right. Okay. So recently it was, ooh, it's the 40th anniversary. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Okay. So they ended up having, they, meaning the Eagle, they ended up having Chuck Doyle back in and a little talk back and forth because, hey, Chuck, you're one of the guys that was instrumental in getting the Rolling Stones to come here. Right. And they never played a Rolling Stones song to compliment the little oh, interview. Oh, that's crazy. And, that's just so crazy. And Chuck says, well, Double T, what, what Rolling Stones song are you going to play? And he goes, I can't. This is all pre-programmed. And he says, by who? And he goes, the program director. You mean the guy in the next room? Well, that's, that's even a step up because a lot of them are corporate playlists yes. that are coming down. Go tell him yeah. to pull something out and take yeah. the unlock off of the right. computer for the radio station. And they didn't do it. Yeah, that lock. It's, it's, it, it used to be an art form. That's, yes. that's why I got into it. It was you could paint pictures with words. You could, mm-hmm. you could, you could just take somebody. There's a guy in Detroit, the Electrifying Mojo. You, do you, have you ever heard of him? The electrifying mojo. He worked at WJLB. And that was his air name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and he'd he'd land the spaceship. The spaceship would land on the air. And oh. and then it, and one of his, his end lines was when you reach the end of your rope, tie a knot and keep hanging, because there ain't nobody bad like you. And I mean, that Mojo is so great. You would think that you were in a spaceship. It he had the sound of he was so ahead of the times. That show would sound good now. If, if that show aired now, you'd wonder, are we leaving planet Earth? I mean, it was theater of the mind. That is theater hilarious. of the mind. Is he still around? He is around. I, I've tried to interview him, but he's just, he's kind of shy. He's not really interested in that. You know, he's not really interested in publicity or talking about what he talked oh. about, what, what he did, but he was amazing. And for him... To, to stick so deep in your head oh, yeah. that you quoted him. He was my competition. Oh, was he really? <laughs> there, was, there were times where, you know, I, I beat him, but he beat a lot of people. I mean, that did that shift. You know, thank goodness I didn't have to be up against him too long. When you were at WROK in the late 70s, do you remember events, whether it be a remote or you would do some kind of a, you know, listener party or something like that? Is no, there I don't some... remember any of that going on. The only event that sticks in my head... Um, for different reasons than you think, is um, <laughs> I was supposed to take some listeners to Chicago, Six Flags. Yes. You know, we gave away tickets. It was a big lead up. John Strandon and I, and I think there were some other people, but th- they left. But I remember we were out to breakfast. Mm-hmm. I got off the air. He got off the air. He leaves before me. And I leave and I pull out and I'm I'm in the turn lane. Okay. And... I wish I could remember. He'd remember this. 
And some guy is driving in the turn lane, thinking that it's a regular lane. Ooh. And oh. I have nowhere to go. There's a car ahead of me. I can't go anywhere. And he, it was raining. He hits me broadside and sends me 500 feet through an intersection. The police said it was good that I had the green light going through the, no joke intended, going through the intersection. Oh. And they had to cut me out of the car. And I had glass in my eyes. And um, a whole weird story ensued. Like, there was no record of the accident. The police came. But I was in and out. John came to the hospital to take me to my house. I didn't go to the um, Six Flags because I had a, a massive concussion. <laughs> and stitches. Wow. I had stitches in my head, too. Wow. That went down a rabbit hole. Yeah, I know. I, would... I know. I knew. I knew. I, it's, it's, <laughs> that's as close as I can get to a promotion memory. <laughs> can't remember it because of the car that's right, wreck that's yeah. right that's right one time i was at the intersection or near the intersection of auburn and maine and now it's a roundabout but for years it was not so i'm guessing it's like four in the afternoon after i was leaving the radio station somebody blew off the light and t-boned a car mm. and it cut the car in half it hit that post between the front seat and the back seat just in yep. such a way yeah that it cut it in half. And the front part of the car stopped in front of me. Mm. And those people took off their seatbelts, climbed over the seat, which oh now there's gosh. no car in the right, back, right. and we're sitting on the curb. So I'm first on the scene. And I can distinctly remember calling Ken DeCoster and giving him, as if I was a reporter, That's right. That's right. all the details because that adrenaline kicks in. Yep. And I had very little memory of any of that when I talked to Ken the next day. Oh, wow. Because he says, hey, thanks a lot for this and that and the other guy. I'm going to have to take your word for it because I don't, I don't remember telling you that. Yeah. He goes, well, how else would I know? Right. It's stuff like that where you're just, you're in the middle yeah. of it and you've got no choice. Right. You just got to sort I of work your I remember the police through. told me, you just told me that, that I remember the police and I was in and out of consciousness, but I do remember him. Because I, I said, is my car okay? I hadn't even made my first payment. Is my car okay? He goes, do you realize this is like the seventh time you asked me that? I said, no, I must be going in oh. and out. I do remember this. He said, you're lucky that you're walking away from this because I had another Buick Opal just like yours in the same accident, and she was killed instantly. I remember thinking, like, why are you telling me this? Like, it was just a... I didn't want to hear that necessarily. He wanted to give you a little bit of an appreciation yeah, though, or something. I guess. Wow. Yeah. Do you know Art Volo? Yeah, yeah. This is no transition whatsoever, except that I'm in Michigan yeah. and Art's also in Michigan. How do you know Art Volo? And here's the reason I ask. Here's the reason I would even possibly ask. <laughs> I pull up old radio station <laughs> announcer videos on YouTube every so often. <laughs> I met Art Volo about two weeks ago when we went into the uh, Rock Radio yep, Revisited yep, yep. event in Chicago. He thought he recognized me. And I said, no, trust me, man. You do not know me. No, no. <laughs> trust me. And so we got talking back and forth. And he says, if you like this kind of stuff, here's what I want you to look up and view. And it was some project that he did for Radio and Records. Yes. Do you remember this? Yes. And you, I think, are announcer 144 okay. <laughs> out of all these little blips. Right. Was it the one where my head's spinning real yes, fast? Yes, yeah. exactly. You know who shot that, though? Hmm. Jerry Millen. And Art asked if he could use it. Oh. Um, Jerry Millen 
was a young guy. I did a Kim Carson School of Broadcasting promotion in Detroit where Speck Howard's Specs Howard gave me an, a certificate to go to radio school for free. And I interviewed the different DJ potential people. They made little air checks. I put them on the air. Wow. People, and he was the winner. And he's the one that shot that. <laughs> Get out of here. Yeah. Wow. So you see how it's all one big bowl of Art, spaghetti? Art has a lot on me too. He's, you know, he's radio's best friend. He is a walking encyclopedia. I've told this on another episode, but I don't think I've told you this. And God was part of the event coordinator at this thing because all the moons lined up because I'm going into this thing. It's rock radio revisited. They're having John records Landecker and Tommy Edwards and all these people and they're reminiscing and they've got video and they've got uh, audio air checks and you know, everybody's talking about animal stories and Larry Lujak and whatever. So (laughs) it was a fundraiser for the museum of broadcast communications. So I go in, I go, Hey, I got nothing better to do for that particular time. You walk in and you meet these people that are laid right in your lap that you never thought you'd have an opportunity to. And I'm in the parking garage and this lady says, you're going to go to Giordano's, aren't you? I said, I I don't know what you're talking about. So so all the former WLS and WCFL people are going down for pizza. It's about 10 minutes from here. Why don't you join us? And I go, I don't know anybody. She goes, you know me? I met her 10 minutes ago in the parking garage. (laughs) And I walk in, and not only is there Art Volo, but there's oh Bill Taylor gosh. and Don uh, Bino. And when, when was this? This was probably a month ago now. Oh, wow. Do you remember Chuck Buell? Yep. On, I yep. sat next to him. Oh, my gosh. And it's like, come on, really? You yeah, know? meeting radio legends, it's still exciting for me. Bill Bailey, you know, listening to Bill Bailey in, yeah. in Detroit from WLS, and then later working for him here in Grand Rapids. Really? Yeah, he hired me. I mean... I couldn't believe that I would was introducing Bill Bailey. I did middays, you know, <laughs> up next is Bill Bailey. And we'd have fun on the radio. And we'd talk about, like, when I was a little girl, 14 years old, and my mom, we'd make cookies for the DJs, and we'd drive oh. him down to WDRQ. Like, I'm still a fan like that, too. Like, yes. you meet these people that you grew up listening to, and they, and they have a profound effect on your life. They do. In 2013, I did the baseball version of what I just described to you as the radio version because they do. They, they yes. stick with you. When I went to Cubs Fantasy Camp in Mesa, Arizona, when you hope that Glenn Beckert is going to be there, the second baseman from the Cubs, yeah. you just hope. But yet he's, he's up there in age, so yeah. you're not really sure. And then the next morning before we go to the ballpark, I get this tap on my shoulder and he goes, is this chair taken? And I turn around and it's Glenn Beckert. Oh my gosh. It's that type of stuff. And oh, it's just, it's priceless. I I just thought when I'm sitting here talking to you, it's kind of weird. Like if, if this were video, because um, I'm sitting here barefoot, which is the way that I always worked in the studio of WROK. (laughs) So does Liz Wilder. Is that right? Yes. Barefoot. And Chuck Diamond would always, he knew I was ticklish, so he didn't even have to touch my foot. I'd be standing there with one leg up, kind of like an ostrich. And he would like, like go like just, just near my foot. And I'd be laughing, laughing, laughing. Just the idea what he was going to (laughs) do. Yes, exactly. You know, the other side to this too, uh, (laughs) to tell the listeners about this, 
the reason that I am even connected with Kim Carson is because I still have a playlist from 1977 or 1978 uh-huh. that I have stashed, and it's in mint condition. Oh, good. <laughs> and uh, John Strandon said she's in Michigan somewhere. Yes. So, of course, oh, I did nice. my whole Google thing and tried to connect with you. I've never met Kim before this day. But about a month ago, I jumped on the phone and I said, hey, this is what we're doing, blah, blah, blah. And 45 minutes later, yes. we said goodbye. Oh, my gosh. It it's was because fun. we had people in common yes. and all that. And then when we nailed down this date, we talked again for yes. I don't know how long. I guess here's the takeaway. If you've got those connections with the people that you worked with or people that used to be in your neighborhood or people that were your baseball coach when you were in high school or your theatrical director and you go, you know, it'd sort of be nice to talk to that person again. Pick mm. up the yeah, phone. Don't waste the time. When you get that inkling. Yes. I just lost a friend of mine on, um, I can't, it's all a blur to me right now. What day was it, mom? Tuesday. I just lost uh, my, my dearest, my best friend in the whole world on a Tuesday and I was sitting on the couch and something in me, I, the spirit, I felt it spiritually said, call Diane now. And almost like autopilot, I just picked up the phone. I called her. We talked for the first half hour. She was kind of out of it. You know, the first half hour, I noticed her speech was different. And then, and she, she had been battling cancer for a year. Mm-hmm. And then I brought up the past and just all the fun that we had. And she was back. And for a half an hour, we spoke and we, she laughed. We laughed together. We had great memories. We hung up the phone and within 15 minutes, her daughter showed up at her house as, as was planned to bring dinner and she had collapsed on the floor. And that was the last time she spoke, had a conversation with anybody was when I called. And oh. so I can't say strongly enough when you get that feeling to call somebody Don't ignore it. Don't just push it aside. Don't let something distract you from it. Call because we always say, well, it may be the last time. And this time was the last time. Mm -hmm. And that's my greatest gift is that we had this gift of laughter and reminiscing of all the craziness. And I, you know, told her I loved her and she loved talking. She said, I love talking to you and anything can change in the blink of an eye. So don't brush that off yeah. next time. Best medicine ever. For sure. It really is. And I know you and I have this, I guess it's sort of a default of saying, pick up the phone or call. And when we say that, we really mean that. Yes. We don't mean say hi this, to them on Facebook. No, we this don't wasn't mean, the only time this has yeah. happened, and this, but this time was yeah. the most meaningful. Because in, in my uh, mind... Getting a text or getting an email or it's getting different. it's different. It goes it's, back it, to the virtual. It goes back to it what the is. neurosurgeon explained to me about how music. I can hear a song, and I'm with my mom in the car. A song could come on, I just start weeping, or get passionately involved with the song, or you turn know? the radio up. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> and so anything can happen. And so when when it's visceral, and visceral doesn't happen virtually. Visceral happens when physically, intellectually, you know, it's, it's kind of sad for young people in the world who don't have that, you know, that don't even know a world without that. And the flip side to that is you could send a thank you note or a letter to somebody in Los Angeles 
and make them cry the minute they get into sentence number That's two. That's right. So paper does have its place. It does. But not, you know, when you get that tap on the, the, the soldier. The thing, yeah, the thing, I, if I would have sent something, it would have been too late. I mean, it's like talking to her. When I, Now I think about her. I, yes, I miss her terribly. But I think about her giggling when I was out walking this morning. I hear Aww. her giggling um, <laughs> and just talking crazy how when we were Thelma and Louise. And I mean, she was back. She came back. You know, and, and, and it was a beautiful thing. That's so, so cool. When you're talking about hearing songs, and you can just flat out fess up to it if you need to, <laughs> when you're in the car, do you talk up songs and hit the post? Not anymore. I do, now, man. Now, 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 it's, now even when I hear a DJ doing it, it's, it's irritating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you sometimes... Well, you want... know what? You're, that's, a, that's a big lie. Because there are some <laughs> songs that I used to talk up that I do still talk up. Yeah. Not any new music. <laughs> See, I knew I'd get it out of you. Because, you know, if it's in you, you sort of, there are times where I go, yeah, I can, I can hit this. So I end up, you know, if it's a CD or something, so I'll go back to the beginning of it. I go, ah, I can hit We're this. We're such geeks. It is. That's it. That is it. We ended up doing a Storyteller Studio episode with Lisa Dent. Well, she was on WZOK in the afternoons in the 80s, and now she does afternoons on WGN in Chicago. And when we went in there, she was running a little late because of traffic. And we went up to WGN, the first office off to the side. We didn't know who Ernie was. And they said, if you just stand here, if you want a cup of coffee, whatever. And Ernie comes out and he goes, hey, who are you people? What are you doing here? Who are you waiting on? Because he goes, there's no reason for you to be in the green room. If you're radio people, come on in. Let me show you my studio. And he's a production guy. I got an email from him maybe about four or five days afterwards because we had talked about, you know, we're archiving air checks and stuff like that. Yeah, I've got so-and-so from, you know, 1986 or whatever. And he says, anytime you want to come back into Chicago and bring your laptop <laughs> full of those air checks and we can just sit around and geek out. Uh, he goes, I am all in. Oh, uh, it's so fun. <laughs> and we are going to do that next month. Oh, how fun. We've how got it fun. set up to do. He, and I've never met him before, but you know, you've got that thing in common and it was just perfect. That'll be so. great. Kim, thank you so much for offering me to come to Michigan and uh, and learn a heck of a lot more about you than I ever knew before, <laughs> which I started out with nothing. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> it's been great. Thank you. Uh, thank you for asking. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Storyteller's Studio in celebration of WROK Radio's 100th year in broadcasting. <laughs>